Well, every one of these messages, we've just started back at the beginning. And we've just taken time to go back to design and see where things maybe went awry and how we have found ourselves even in the world that we're living in today. And often we get to see it's because of the mark of sin. And that doesn't really change for this issue with politics. In fact, uh, when you go back to Genesis chapter three, you see what happens when sin enters into the equation. God says, because of that, what's going to happen is that everything you put your hand to is gonna be difficult now. That there's a coming a day, by the way, where we're gonna be partnered with God in all of what he's doing across the earth. We're not just gonna be sitting on clouds. We're gonna be doing amazing things in partnership with him, working even. But the difference will be, it will not, we will not have and experience the toil and hardship and pain that comes with work. And part of the challenge and part of the pain is that it comes across everything. That includes how we manage, how we lead, how we govern mankind, that that won't be easy. It'll actually be hard. There won't be agreement. It'll be toil. It'll be work. That how we best, how mankind best governs and leads and protects and serves mankind, that hasn't been agreed on from the get-go. It got hit just like everything else that's been hit by sin. And there's been no shortage of philosophies and ideas and motives and passions and all of those things about exactly how we should help and best govern and lead ourselves in our brokenness. And so that's the question we want to kind of lean into this morning, that even in this room, I can guarantee you there is not 100% agreement on how that should happen. So how can we live how can we function? How do we move forward? And the good news is this, the gospel comes forward and becomes an equal opportunity offender for every political view and every philosophy except one. It offends every view except for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God exists because of the gospel. And so we're going to take a moment to lean into that because it's under this kingdom that Jesus Christ established. He's going to say, I command 100% of your allegiance. I'm calling you to fully be aligned with this kingdom. And he on purpose is going to show that whatever your political leanings may be, what he first wants for every one of us is to be about him and his kingdom and his glory. And he's not actually worried about where you're at politically on the scale. In fact, we actually get to see, right? You're right there in Matthew chapter 10. There's two verses side by side. And we're gonna see exactly what happens. In Matthew chapter 10, we're seeing Jesus is picking his disciples. And who does he pick? He picks Matthew, the tax collector, in verse three. And then Matthew chapter 10, verse four, he picks Simon the zealot. Now, I can promise you, these two men are on polar opposites of the political equation. And we see what Jesus is going to do. I'm gonna pick you and I'm gonna pick you. You guys couldn't disagree more on these things and y'all are gonna be my followers. And I just love that Jesus did this. 
Because he's grabbing Matthew, who is a Jew, who is on the Roman payroll, who has succumbed to the occupying force, and he's saying, I'm signing up for the new world order, right? I'm just saying those words because they're trigger. I know they trigger you, right, when I say that kind of stuff. And then he's gonna grab what you and I might call the bleeding heart nationalist, Simon the Zealot, who says, Israel first. And he's going to even engage in guerrilla warfare. This is what the zealots did to try to accomplish the purpose of establishing the nation of Israel back again over Rome. These two men are on polar opposites. And Jesus says, you dudes are following me now. I'm asking you to give allegiance to a brand new kingdom. And it's going to be glorious. Can you imagine on their journey the differences that they had to begin to work through as they begin to follow Jesus. I promise you, any first century reader would have immediately thought there's no way these men can function in the same group. And Jesus says, bet. I think that's what they, how the kids say it. Bet, right? Good, Luke? Sorry, I just got a thumbs up for my cool son. All right. This is what we get to see. And you know what he says immediately as he's grabbing these guys together and he's pulling all these different people from different backgrounds together and calling them into allegiance with this amazing kingdom. He's gonna give tons of different instructions to them throughout their time with him. But one thing he says in just a few verses down right where you're at, Matthew chapter 10, verse seven, and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I imagine there would be people going, Jesus, do you see what's happening here? It doesn't feel like there's any kingdom of heaven happening. And he's gonna go, no, man. I'm calling you up to see a completely different view, to see what I see. Because hear this, God will accomplish his purposes across the earth. I don't care what the government is. So he's inviting and calling all that will follow him to come into the kingdom. And in fact, actually, what he's going to say is the kingdom actually gets to live in you. And we're going to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself because it's fun, but I'm excited. The kingdom of God's going to come and live in us and we get to carry it everywhere we go. When the kingdom of Rome came to inquire and ask Jesus exactly where his allegiance aligned with, he had a simple response. It says, they say, are you the king of the Jews? John chapter 18. Now listen, make no mistake, Jesus is about to be, he's on trial. And his trial, it's going to lead to his crucifixion, at least from a human standpoint, is very political. Very clearly a political thing that's going on here. And Jesus has a very simple answer. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And Jesus just wants to give a real clear answer first that the kingdom isn't gonna function or operate with the same rules and the systems and the mechanisms of the world. It's gonna function in a different way. And more so, if my followers gonna be in allegiance with this kingdom first, they will be, because if they weren't, it'd be a holy war. 
They'd be going after it right now. The politics would be aligned and we'd be coming after it, but that's not what I asked them to do. I asked them to follow me and build this kingdom that's not of this world. And so these men are smack dab in the middle of the Roman Empire and they're dealing with the fallout of the challenging political environment that they were in and politics loomed large in everyone's life in that day, I guarantee it. And we feel that as we live in a nation now that is in desperate need And even more so, you and I experience what it means to have allegiances every day. And just every day, real life. We understand allegiances. And so how do we get to first importance? I, I, I have an allegiance. I have, I have a little K, little K kingdom in my house. And I am the ruler. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was so, that was just a bad, bad joke. But we have a little kingdom. And I have these allegiances to my wife and my children. And they have my allegiance. And yet, the God of the universe would say, yes, love your wife and love your children. But there is an allegiance above them that you give your heart and life to. Keith, are you saying that you're called to love Jesus more than your wife? Yes, yes. Why one? Because that's the call on all of our lives. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I imagine Jesus lost some followers that day he preached that. What does Jesus mean? Does he mean actually hate? Or what does he mean? What is he he's saying? Does he mean hate? No, it means love less, meaning there's tears to our allegiances. He's saying, come after me. I'm calling for a full scale, follow me. My wife's allegiance must be to Jesus above me. It has to be. Her heart has to be for the son of God over me. And we live in this allegiance with each other, this godly covenant that's amazing and beautiful and awesome and marriage that God's designed. And we've had all the conversations about that all the last weeks. And yet the Lord's saying, but love the Lord your God with all you've got. I love my kids. I love my wife. And see, I think with a supernatural love, but my, Jesus, my love for Jesus is greater. It has to be. And the reason is this. Because if I don't love him more and they become my supreme allegiance, then they'll crumble under the weight of me looking to them because they become the idol. Anything above Jesus becomes an idol and it'll crush you. And when we make idols out of people, it'll crush them. And so Jesus is saying, come, love me first, and then love. Am I being called to love? Like, do I have to temper my love for my family? No. He's going, more love for wives, and more love for children, more love for each other, more love for church. Amen? But more love for the Son of God, too. 
it's get, it gets to grow as our hearts expand as God has his work and way in us. The Lord's not trying to say, hold yourself back. What he's saying is you go full bore after the son of God and you'll find your love grow for all the places you're meant to. And hear this, as much as I love the United States of America, and I do, I'm so grateful for this nation. I'm so grateful for the freedom of worship. I'm so grateful for, I could go on, we could tend to spend a whole morning talking about all the amazing things that we get to have and experience. As much as I do, I belong to the kingdom of God first. Allegiance first to anything else will cause it to crumble. It can't stand the weight of our need. And I think that reality is foundational as we attempt to address matters of political importance and how Jesus' followers interact in our nation in very polarized politics. This has to come first. If we're going to follow Jesus in every area of our lives with grace and truth, then we're going to be able to live in that tension to hear what he says to us. And the truth is this, you and I can't live in that tension unless we're following Jesus very closely. It'll just, it's too easy to, to look at all of the things that have need, whether it's in your home or whether it's in your workplace or whether it's in our nation, there's so much need. There's so much brokenness. There's so much that has to be worked on and fixed. You could be overwhelmed, and the Lord's just saying, stay in step with my spirit. Walk with me. Let your allegiance be to the Son of God. He'll take, that's what he says. He'll take care of it all. What does he say? Come to me. Bring all your things. I'm gonna take care of all the other stuff. Seek first the kingdom and all the other things I'll take care of but is kingdom first in you I'm getting ready for this message I get to ask that question fresh is kingdom of God first in me and so here's my as we get into this I'll just say this would you guys give me grace as we lean in to this topic and just hear me all the way through. Don't bow out halfway through because you won't get the whole thing. Because we're going to have to figure out how this begins to work. How do we do kingdom first? Because we get to come into the realization here that politics aren't of first importance. Okay? Now, hear me. I'm not saying politics aren't important. I'm saying politics aren't of first importance. And it's important for us to begin to understand that. Second Corinthians, Paul gives us this amazing kind of identity as we become followers of Jesus. In chapter five, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, meaning this is actually who we are. If you want to know about what your design is and what your calling is, is we are ambassadors. This is a term that gets used in politics all the time. We have ambassadors to nations, and nations send their ambassadors to us to be a representation of who they are. And what Paul wants to say is, this is where you are. This is who you are. You're an ambassador. You're a carrier of God's kingdom. Every 
where you go. You have the kingdom of God alive in you, and you and I are meant to take it out wherever we go. That's our design. How can you say that's of first importance? It's the same reason that Paul would say that. It's because our nation and our world are incredibly broken. It's facing colossal challenges. Our nation is in great, great need. But the truth is, it always has been. We're here now and we feel it, maybe even in new ways. But Paul here knew the same thing, that God's right, speaking to us right now, that if you want to see our nation changed, that the only, uh, only the coming of the kingdom of God into human hearts is actually going to change the broken world that we live in. Let me say that again. Only the coming of the kingdom of God into hearts is what is going to change the world we live in, right? How do we know that? Because the law and politics have never changed the heart of man. They never have. They can't. In fact, even God's beautiful law that he gave couldn't do in us what only God himself could do. Romans chapter 8, you're going to tell us for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering meaning this beautiful, glorious law to show us the holiness of our God couldn't fix mankind. It couldn't change hearts. The perfect edicts of God couldn't do it. The laws of the government will never change the heart. It'll empower us. I'm sorry, it'll never empower us to be able to do what is good. It'll never empower us to be able to be right with God. The law can't do it. But the kingdom in us can. Listen, the law can create boundaries and it can even force people to do the right things. And for those things, I'm incredibly grateful. But it'll never fix the issue of sin. There's only one fix to what's broken in our nation. Hear this. It's not the right political party in place. What we'll fix is a radical turning from brokenness and sin to the Son of God. That's what fixes, that's what changes the human heart. That's why politics is not of first importance. You gotta fight first for hearts, right? Before you fight for regulations. We're gonna gonna talk about regulations in a moment, but church, we are ambassadors for Christ, meaning we're meant to be on the path to see people know and love and treasure Jesus. We have to care first that people meet Jesus and know Jesus and walk with Jesus and receive Jesus and love Jesus. If that doesn't sit primary in us, then hear this. Anything you hope for in the political space becomes an idol. 
if you don't first want that for the hearts of people? Because that's where Jesus is. He's bleeding on a cross so that incredibly broken humans have a way out, have a way towards life. He's going into a grave so that our deadness inside and the wrong things and the sick and broken things that you and I see in this world can also go into the grave. If we don't care about people seeing and treasuring and loving Jesus first, then whatever you hope for politically will end up becoming an idol to you. And you know how idols do. They crush you. And you can be livid and angry with all you want to in our broken nation. What it desperately needs is the heart of God to come and save this broken world. And they, here, they won't see it. They won't see that reality until we become ambassadors for the king of the universe. We carry the kingdom wherever we go. We carry the father's heart. We carry the power and the beauty of the living God. And when we spend more time and more energy and more prayers on political matters than we do on the gospel in the lives of individuals, then I think we end up falling prey to the temptations of making politics first importance. And we're going to talk about praying. In fact, we're going to take time to pray for our nation. But we won't do it before we pray and ask God to make us ambassadors and let us carry the truth. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as what? First importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that sits at first importance for all of us. Why? Because, hear this, because politics are important. Oh my gosh, Pastor, well, which is it for crying out loud, right? Come on. The gospel is of first importance in us because there are many important things in this life. Because politics are important. There's all incredibly kind of important things all throughout the scripture. In fact, this entire series that we've been doing, been trying to speak to incredibly important things on gender and on sexuality and marriage and trying to speak to those. Those are important things. How many of you know just everyday real life is important? It matters. In Acts chapter 6, the church is blowing up. And they're stepping back and seeing what God is doing and turning hearts and revivals happening. And people are coming into the kingdom and their lives are being turned upside down. It's amazing. And all of a sudden they step back and they're going, there's a whole group of people that aren't being cared for. Widows aren't even getting an opportunity to be seen. They don't have access to the same resources that these married couples do. And they're not. And so what are we going to do about it? Is it like, well, if you just keep praying, maybe it'll work out for you, sister. No. They step back and they say, God cares. Let's raise up mighty men to care for and make sure that the church is being cared for, meaning that the regular everyday things of life 
matter to God. The kingdom, hear this, the kingdom of God can be of first importance in a way where we don't have to stop caring about the rest of the stuff. In fact, I think if we rightly have the kingdom of God first, it helps us rightly care about the rest of the stuff. It will never supersede the gospel, no. Even shelter and clothing. In fact, the scripture is quick to say, can even nakedness or famine separate you from the love of God that is in Christ? Not a chance. Even the most brutal, painful things can't separate you. It never takes first importance, but there are things that are important. And God cares about the very details of our lives. All those issues need to be seen. And God is the one who sees them first and can give us his heart. God cares about our lives. And that's why we can't stick our heads in the sand when it comes to politics. And all the political issues that we're facing the world Today, listen, you can swing the pendulum either way. You can go either way. You can go, politics are way too important to all the way to ignorance and avoidance. Hear this, the Bible's not calling us to either one of those things. We can't live in avoidance. That's absolutely another mistake we can make. Hear this, we absolutely must and need to vote and vote for righteousness. We do. I believe God is calling men and women to stand in righteous places of leadership in local governments and state governments and national governments and global governments. There is no question that we wanna pray for these things and we wanna step into these things. We can't be unaware of actually what's happening or what's going on. We need men and women who are willing to bring God's righteousness that blesses, by the way, all people, but we bring it with grace and kindness and respect. I love Proverbs 11.11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked is it overthrown. I actually love that. God brings blessing on cities, whether you're Christian or not, through his ambassadors. Meaning when we seek to bring righteousness in his heart everywhere we go, it touches the lives of all people. I love how J.D. Greer put it in speaking in a message on this very topic. He says, you know, he says, we can make an argument that the greatest social benefits the Christian worldview have bestowed on the world are its teaching on respect for individual liberty and freedom of conscience, the dignity and equality of all people, the importance of the rule of law and the insistence that all people should be equal before it, the inherently corrupting power of authority and the need for checks and balances. These things were largely unheard of before Christians and Jews introduced them. Meaning we bring the heart of the kingdom and it gets to bless everyone. And we've experienced the fullness of that and it's why it feels so painful when we see it slipping away at times. And what we carry is too important not to care and to not be active, to not be thoughtful that if we're ambassadors of the kingdom, there are certain principles of that kingdom that we can vote for, that we can advocate for, for the betterment of all people, both Christian and those 
that aren't. And so we do what we've done here. We stand for the unborn. And those that can't protect themselves. Because God cares. And they mentioned last week some of the political realities of gender ideology that's really pressed our nation. We stand for righteousness for God's design of male and female. We stand for legally protecting children when it comes to the issue of identity politics. It's okay to, because the kingdom is in us, to step back and to say it's absurd to think that a nine-year-old can make a decision about blocking chemically things in their body to change the way they were made. It's absurd. I, 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 it's truly, if we step back, we're going, yeah, it's probably not a good idea that you can't drive until you're 16. You can't smoke till you're 18. You can't drink till you're 21. And yet there's an idea that when you're 10, you can have body parts mutilated and It's okay for us to care about things that are in God's heart as the kingdom is alive in us. We stand for protection for those that need protection. If you think about allowing those thought processes to, and I know it's hard, by the way, to talk about, but if you allow those thought processes to go where a nine-year-old can make that decision, then what stops the the ideology from going a nine-year-old can choose to have sex with whoever they want to be able to have sex with. And I'm so grateful that we live in a world, or at least right now, where pedophilia is illegal. But if you stick your head in the sand, if we don't pay attention, you have things like right now, people trying to change the word pedophilia to minor attracted persons. It's painful. It, you should feel anger, right, when that comes up because it's against the heart of God. We don't say it as a political reality. What we're saying is, is that this thing that God has put in us in his design over our lives matters. Therefore, it matters in the political space who we vote for and how we think and how we raise up our children to understand this life. As those concerned about justice and goodness for all people, we can contend for laws and a government that does right and blesses. It's good for us to do it. And we can do this while also knowing that the greatest need in our land, hear this, isn't righteous laws, but people who embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, King, and Savior. I thank God for righteous laws. It's not going to change the heart of man. We need God to come. We need God to break out and revival and change and transform. That's what we need. That's got to be our first prayer. Oh, God, come. What about, do you think we shouldn't have a Christian nation? Yes. I'd love for our nation to be a Christian nation, but hear this. Not because we got all the cool laws lined up. 
I want us to be a Christian nation because we are a nation of people who've turned their heart to the Son of God. That's how we get to a Christian nation. It's not more Supreme Court justices. And again, I thank, I thank God for how all of those things function. I really am. I thank God for people in high places. In fact, we're meant to, we're called to pray for people in high places and people who stand in these uh, important uh, roles of leadership over our nation. But I want to see God come into hearts to see his kingdom invade. And that's what it means to be a Christian nation. There's hearts that are turning. I pray. And because this is the truth, and this is a pretty bold, it, it's not gonna happen unless we take charge as the ambassadors. Apart from, and this is, God can do whatever he wants to do. I think what he's actually saying is, let us be the people who carry the goodness of the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Let's be on the forefront that God grants us the grace to see revival in our nation that it will affect the laws and the way that we are governed by voting righteously. But hear me, I want you to hear this. And this is important because we're gonna finish up and Luke can come up. I want you to hear me. Even, hear this, even in revival, the followers of Jesus will not always agree on politics, okay? There are a few things it's things that we've talked about over the last few weeks by the grace of God are gonna be important and central. We can be unified on the centrality of Jesus and his kingdom and yet we can disagree on matters of specific politics, right? There are elements of politics and philosophies and strategies that aren't about biblical truth, right? There's philosophies and ideas on how to approach race relations and immigration and fiscal policy and foreign policy and that list could go on and on and on. And we may not always agree on exactly how all of those are handled. There are lots in our, even in our current political situation uh, that come down to strategies and philosophies that we might see differently on. You know, the scripture calls us to care for the poor, but we might disagree on the strategy of mandated living wages and those kinds of things. We're gonna have conversations about that. In fact, I think that's what we're meant to do, right? Are we, do we care about people's health? Do we care about people being healed from sickness? Yeah, but we might disagree on the strategy of healthcare. There's just gonna be places and, and please don't send me your video on why we have to have this vision, you know, uh, vision of healthcare, right? Okay, I say masks and vaccines and we can go to war, okay? Because <laughs> there's different ideas about it. The question is, do we carry the kingdom of God? Do we care about people's hearts and souls? Can we sit down and have conversations? You've got family and friends. The holidays are coming. How are those conversations meant to go? Can they see us caring for a broken world, even in disagreement? Can we do it with grace and kindness? Grace and truth, we don't have to back down one bit on the truth of the kingdom of heaven, but we can do it with gracious and kind hearts. 
We can disagree well. In fact, I th- actually, I think we're supposed to disagree. We're supposed to actually do a relationship. I don't know. I mean, any of you guys that have marriage in here, you never had a disagreement? Because you got, y'all take over the church. If that's you, you could just run this thing. No. People who love each other are gonna disagree. We don't have to be afraid of that. What we can do is bring the heart and the kindness of the Father to each other. And we can be on different pages on those things, and it's okay. The current spirit of the age is to just vilify each other when we disagree. Hear that? The current spirit of the age is for us to vilify and cancel each other when we disagree. And the father saying, no, I love that dude. He's totally wrong, but I love him. So you be an ambassador. You carry my heart. You pray for the change and transformation you want to see. You guys stand with me. We're going to close out and I recognize, uh, I'm going to do a couple things. One, we're going to ask God to to bring his kingdom in us first. We're gonna pray for our nation. I'm gonna take a few minutes, but hear this. Um, Part of the kingdom of God is that uh, the Father is not finished with the nation of Israel. You can read Romans, if you read Romans 9, 10, 11. He has plans that he's doing. They were viciously attacked by Hamas. Just a few days ago, it's, it is a tense situation. I don't even know what political ramifications it means for us right now. But I know this, God loves those people. Hear this, what about Hamas? You bet God wants to see Hamas come and bend their knee to the son of God. So we'll pray for it all, but there are people on the front lines fighting this battle. And we wanna pray for the, what the scripture says, the peace of Jerusalem. We want to see God come and manifest his presence and his authority over that nation and over Palestinians and over all the earth. But let's ask him to do it in us first. Father, right now, we know there are political things going on that we can't possibly fathom how it's all going to go. But what we want to say is this, God, we trust you when we put your kingdom first. Would you tell the Lord that? Would you just re-up with him when you asked him to be Lord, King, and Savior? He gets to call the shots. So Lord, have your way in my heart. Would you ask him that? Your kingdom in me, an ambassador for Christ. Meaning, Lord, would you help us to love and hunger for the salvation of the world first, for our neighbor first, for our nation first, that they would come to know you. But Lord, too, right now, we pray for America. God, do your work of transformation in our nation. Change hearts, change minds, tear down strongholds, overcome sin, work revival. God, bring righteousness to the forefront. In fact, even as I pray that, there are ways that it feels like it's almost impossible, and yet nothing is impossible with you, God. So we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that right now. Pray it for America. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come. 
And Lord, right now, would you cover Israel? You have asked us, one, you'll bless those who bless her. And two, we pray for her peace. We ask God that in this moment, you'd bring your righteous hand of covering and protection. And God, we ask that you would do your work to bring heart transformation in lives to see Jesus as son of God, king of the universe, Messiah. We ask God that you would protect uh, innocent individuals, those who are not even a part of military. We ask that you protect those that are on the front lines. Father, we do ask that you would change and work and transform the heart of Hamas. Would you bring those that are hostile to your gospel into your family? You did it in Paul. You can do it again. So do it in the Middle East, in Israel, in Palestine, Gaza, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia. God, bring your Holy Spirit. Change and transform. Let men and women dream dreams and see you high and lifted up. Let those that are in the land that trust you as Messiah to Lord, share your good heart with a broken nation. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we thank you, God, that you see 10,000 things we don't see and we trust you. We trust you. And we pray for your move here, there, and everywhere. Let your kingdom come, God. We love you. And we thank you. We'll have some prayer partners here. We'd love to pray with you about anything. Maybe this area of politics is an area you want covering or prayer. Maybe you're thinking about stepping into some leadership. We want to pray for you. Whatever the Lord's doing in your world, we'll be here to pray. I cover us as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, son or daughter, peace that is supernatural, that comes from Jesus alone, we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Blessing. We'll see you.